you don't have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to pull the Red Pew Bible from in front of you and open to Hebrews 10. And while you're finding that, I have a question for the youth here this morning. So I'm defining youth as 18 and under. Uh, So I have a question. Are you guys all paying attention? This is going to connect to the message, trust me, but it's a little random. Just came to mind as I was thinking about uh, the text this morning. So how many of you, by raising your hands, 18 and under, uh, like salad, lettuce salad? Raise your hands. You're not, un- you're not 18. <laughs> Saw you. Okay, put your hands down. Uh, who doesn't like salad? 18 and under, same thing. I knew I had at least one in my house. Okay, bunch in the back. All those Gifford boys don't like salad. <clears throat> so I was, remind- I was reminded of this story. I didn't like salad when I was your age. And so uh, I actually didn't like salad for a long time. I remember going, I was a freshman at Wesleyan actually and was traveling with my tennis team, and I think we were in Minnesota, and everybody was ordering salad. And I was the young guy, and I didn't want to, like, I wanted to follow suit and not look awkward. And so I was listening as it was going around, and people were ordering Caesar salad, and I thought, okay, got that. And then I heard sometimes, and I wasn't connecting these things, but sometimes the waiter would say, what kind of dressing do you want? And I kept hearing ranch. And I thought, okay, when it comes to me, I know what I'm going to do. So it comes around to me and I say, I'll take a Caesar with ranch. And he looked at me, a Caesar with ranch. And I said, yeah. And I still don't like Caesar and ranch. It doesn't really go together. (laughs) But I do like salad. So those of you that haven't grown to enjoy it. So why does that connect? It's totally unrelated to salad. But I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 10. And we're going to look at three commands. And they all start with let us. Get it? (laughs) Let us. I know it's a really bad stretch. (laughs) So we're in Hebrews chapter 10. Hopefully that gave you time to get there. I want you just to see the three commands. Then we're going to pray and then we will unpack them together. So starting in verse 22 and then 23 and 24. You see the commands here. Let us draw near. Let us hold fast and let us consider. So those are the three things that we're going to look at today. Let us draw near. Let us hold fast and let us consider. Let's pray together before we open God's word. Uh, Gracious Father, what a glorious day to come and to sing these glorious songs about your grace to us. Lord, as we think back on 2022, uh, there were many highs and lows, many uh, good things and many hard things, but through it all, you were faithful. You are a rock, our unchanging anchor. Lord, as we look forward now to 2023, we trust that you will continue to prove yourself faithful, for you always have. Lord, as we come to your word now, we pray that you would help us to set aside these things. uh, If we're coming in with baggage from the year behind, or if we are looking forward with anxiety at the year ahead, that we would lay these things before you, knowing that you care for us, and that as we open your word, that you would open our hearts to see and to believe and to be changed by it. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, our first, our first command is let us draw near. It doesn't say it explicitly here, but you can see by the context as we go through it that it is let us draw near to God. This is what our call is, what our command is. So the question is how? How does one draw near to God? And almost every theistic worldview, those that believe in a God or gods, will talk about good works. 
that good works are required somehow to draw near to God. If you ask most people on the street, uh, if you were to die tonight and were to face God, why, and he were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven? They would say something about their works. They would think, well, I'm not as bad as the next guy, or certainly my good outweighs my bad, and hopefully I'll get in. And to an extent, this is true. Even the Christian worldview requires good works. In fact, the Christian worldview requires perfection. Perfection is required to draw near to God. And the reason that is is because God is perfectly holy. He cannot be in the presence of sin. And so in order for us to draw near to him, we too must be perfect. If you think that's overstated, keep your finger in Hebrews chapter 10 and go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus, Sermon on the Mount. We're going to pick it up in verse 20. So Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20. If you have a red letter Bible, you'll see everything's red. This is just Jesus teaching and teaching and teaching. And we're picking it up right in the middle. But he says in Matthew 5, 20, For I tell you, Unless your righteousness, this is your standing, this is your, uh, your, just, your justification, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Enter kingdom of God equals draw near to God. If we are to enter the kingdom of heaven, then we must have righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. Now that doesn't maybe sit as uh, poignant to us, but for these hearers, the ones that were listening to Jesus teach, they would have thought, whoa, these are the holy guys, right? These are the righteous ones that outwardly, they're doing all the right things and they're trying their best they can to conform to the law. And Jesus says, you must exceed their righteousness in order to enter into heaven, in order to draw near to God. And if that isn't enough, he goes on for the rest of the chapter to add six, but I say to use. And what he does is he moves from the outward facade of the scribes and Pharisees that he says, this is a standard. You need to be better than this. Your righteousness needs to exceed this. And he goes from the outside facade to the heart. So we're just going to look at them briefly, starting in verse 21. And this is familiar to many of you, uh, but I just want you to see over and over how Jesus lays in these truths about good works and about doing what the law requires. So verse 21, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, but whoever and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, this is the first of six, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. So it's not just the physical act of murder. If you have ever been angry with someone, you have committed murder against that person in your heart. This is the standard that Jesus is saying. It's not just what we think of as murder. It is your heart intention. And if you have not loved your brother perfectly, if you have hated them, you have committed murder in your heart. He goes on in verse 27. You have heard, it, heard that it was said, you should not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So this isn't the physical, just the physical act of adultery. This is just looking lustfully upon someone. You have committed adultery with that person in your heart. He goes on in verse 32. 
It was also said, whoever divorces, the wife, divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. They had, under, they had underestimated the truth about marriage, and they were not obeying the law as they were called to. In 33, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all. So he again is going to the heart of the matter. And then in verse 30, uh, 38, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If we haven't done this perfectly every time, not retaliated when sinned against, we have not done what Jesus is calling us to do. And then finally, his final, but I say to you in verse 43, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Have we done this perfectly? No. And if it wasn't clear enough when Jesus said, you must have, your righteousness must exceed the scribes and the Pharisees. If it's not clear enough in his three, but I say to you's, he like brings in the closer at the last verse of the chapter, verse 48 of chapter 5. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. In order to obey this command of drawing near to God, we must be absolutely perfect. This is the call of Christ. This is the call of both testaments of the Bible. And it's not an outward appearance. It's not an outward facade as the scribes and the Pharisees, but it's the inward actions, it's the motives of our heart. So maybe this is new to you. I know to many of you this is old news, uh, but it's clear. If this is the standard, and I'm arguing that it is, it seems pretty clear that this is the standard, it is completely unattainable by us. There is no way for us to draw near to God in ourselves. And this is the truth of the entire scripture. Uh, over uh, just samplings uh, in Romans chapter 3, Paul takes a whole bunch of stuff out of the Old Testament and it makes it very clear. Romans 3.10, none is righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. James 2.10, for whoever keeps the whole law but falls in one point has become guilty of all of it. So if perfection is required to draw near to God, how can anyone draw near? Go back to Hebrews chapter 10. And this is what the author of Hebrews is giving us an answer to. So the author's unknown. We don't know who wrote, uh, who wrote the book. But the audience is known. Uh, the audience is a group of Jewish believers. So Jews by descent that had come to believe in Jesus as the Messiah. But... They were not fully convinced that they could draw near to God without adherence to the sacrificial system. So the mindset here of the Hebrew reader was, yes, I've come to Christ. I see him as Messiah. I'm believing in him. But isn't the Old Testament law, the sacrificial system, the way that we are able to draw near to God? Isn't this what God set up so that we could draw near to him? And we're going to see that the writer of Hebrews uh, corrects their thinking, but it wasn't that their thinking was wrong. If you look at the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 16, a whole chapter on this day of atonement. Every year, 
once a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and sacrifice animals to atone for, to forgive sins. It even says in uh, 1630, Leviticus 16.30, For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. So they recognized they were sinful and separated from God because of their sin. And they were looking at the Old Testament law and saying, this is how we are okay with God, is that we're keeping this set of rules and this set of sacrifices, and that will cleanse us, that makes our, it deals with our sins. But if we pick it up in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 1, we see uh, what was a mystery to them, but what is fully disclosed to us. So Hebrews 10, starting in verse 1. For since the law, including all of the Old Testament law and the sacrificial system as well, has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Remember our command, let us draw near. And the argument that Jesus makes is that you must be perfect to draw near. So there's so much in this first verse. I thought about doing four sermons on verse one. But I want you to focus just for a moment in taking this part. The law can never make perfect those who draw near. This is the message to the Hebrews that were, were trying to believe in Jesus. They were looking at him and recognizing him as Messiah. But from the time they were, had any conscious thought, they were in the sacrificial system of this is how we draw near to God. But the writer of Hebrews is saying this has not ever been how the intention, and, and we'll, we'll come back to this, but for now he's saying the law can never make perfect those who draw near. So the question in their minds has to be, if the sacrificial, if the sacrificial system does not solve our problem, um, then do we have any hope? How do we draw near to God? He goes on in verses 2 through 4, to just lay on these truths that would be mind-blowing to them. So Hebrews 10 and 2, otherwise, would they, referring back to sacrifices, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having been once cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin? So he's saying, if this worked, wouldn't you be free of guilt? But he goes on in verse 3, but in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year. This did not remove guilt from the Hebrews. All it did was to remind them of their sin every year. And then he goes on in verse 4, and this would have, this would have shattered their hopes and dreams of the sacrificial system drawing them near to God. Verse 4, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And drop your eyes down to verse 11. He says similarly, similarly, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices that can never take away sins. So, if the, sacrifice, if the sacrificial system could not deal with sin, is there hope? And this is the hope of the book of Hebrews. So now look back at verse 1. It says, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. The sacrificial system was never designed to take away sin. The law was a shadow 
pointing us to pointing the Hebrews and pointing all that would read it and all that would observe it to something much greater. So what are these good things? What are these true realities? If the law cannot make us perfect, the law cannot allow us to draw near, what can? And this is what the writer of Hebrews explodes into in verse 12. Chapter 10 and verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for, from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has what? Do you see it? Verse 14 in the middle. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Praise God. We cannot be perfect in ourselves. There's no way that we can attain and keep the law perfectly. It's clear. If anyone here thinks they're keeping the law perfectly, uh, I don't know if I want you to raise your hand or not. Uh, But we know we can't. It's impossible. But through this one-time sacrifice of Jesus, all, all of the Old Testament sacrifices, millions upon millions of bulls and goats and lambs shedding their blood, pointed forward to this once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus. And through that sacrifice, we can be made perfect. He makes us perfect for all time And he makes us perfect, those of us that are being sanctified, which just means those of us that are believing in him. He goes on in verse uh, verse 15 through 18 to talk more about these uh, good things, these true realities that the law was pointing forward to. And he quotes Jeremiah 31. So starting in verse 15, And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them referring to those being sanctified. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, of sins and lawless deeds, there is no longer any offering for sin. So here it is. Perfection is required to draw near to God. We are unable to keep the law perfectly, but Jesus lived a perfect life in our stead without sin, and his single offering has perfected those who believe in him. Therefore, we're finally getting to our text. That was our 20-minute introduction. Therefore, verse 19, and then there's this huge parenthetical that I'm going to come back to. Verse 19, therefore, skip all the way down to verse 22, let us draw near. Because of Jesus' one-time sacrifice, we can now, now draw near to God. Because of what Christ has done, let us draw near. Now, the parenthetical just gives us the same truths uh, with uh, pointing to these shadows that were built into the Old Testament law. So we'll unpack that briefly. So, verse 19, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places... This, this would have been earth-shattering for these Hebrew hearers. The holy places, the temple, right? You have the holy place, and then you have the holy of holies. Only the priests can go into the holy place. Only the high priest once a year 
can go into the, holy place, into the Holy of Holies. And this is how they were drawing near to God. And he's saying now, because of Christ's sacrifice, we can enter with confidence into these holy places. We can draw near to God because of not animal blood, but if you look at the end of verse 19, we're entering into the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Verse 20, by the new and living way, pointing to the new covenant, that he opened for us through the curtain. And they would have immediately thought of the curtain that divided the holy place from the holy of holies. And you see where he's connecting the curtain that is through his flesh. So this curtain that divided the holy place, the holy place from the holy of holies was torn in two at the crucifixion of Christ. And it was a picture of what kept or what how we entered into the presence of God and Jesus that writer of Hebrews is connecting Jesus's body to that curtain and now through his blood and through his body we gain entrance and verse 21 and since we have a great priest over the house of God no longer do we need priests to enter into the holy of holies for us for Jesus entered on our behalf and by having faith in him we can draw near to God. So, verse 22, let us draw near. Let us draw near because we're able, not because of what we have done or anything of our righteousness, but because of what Christ has done for us. Let us draw near with a true or sincere heart. Not outward appearance, not outward doing, but our hearts are true and sincere in trusting him. In full assurance of faith. Connect that sure assurance of faith down to chapter 11 of Hebrews and verse 6. Might be on the same page, might be one over. 11.6, and without faith, it is impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So we draw near to God, not by our works. We can never work our way to God, but we draw near by faith in Christ. And he goes on to give us more pictures at the end of verse 22. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Remember back to verse 2, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 2. It talked about they would cease to be offered since the worshipers having once been cleansed would no longer have any consciousness of sin. We now have a, a free and a clear and a guilt-free conscience. Not because we're perfect. We still sin every day, but because we're placing our faith in Christ and his one-time sacrifice. And then he goes on to say, with hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We didn't talk about it, uh, but I have time. I'm going to go back. So verse 10 and verse 14 talks about this washing and the word that the Hebrew writer uses is sanctif uh, sanctified. So if you look at Hebrews 10, 10, and by that will, we have been sanctified. We've been cleansed. We've been purified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That the offering is uh, juxtaposed against verse 8, where you see him mentioning sacrifices, offerings, burnt offerings, sin offerings. All of the Old Testament offerings over and over and over again is replaced by, or it was all pointing forward to this one offering of Jesus Christ. So 
we are cleansed, we are sanctified, we are made pure by this offering. And then we saw the same word in verse 14. And by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified, those who are being made pure. So, quick application. Maybe this is new for you. Maybe you're visiting. Maybe you've been here a long time and just haven't heard uh, these truths. The question for you is, have you ever drawn near to God? If we were to ask you the question today, why should God let you into heaven, would you answer, like many, well, I, I think I'm good enough. The call to you is stop. Stop trying to earn your way to God. There is no way to earn your way to God, but come to Christ. The once for all sacrifice, you can have hope in him. And by agreeing that God is holy, that you are sinful, that Christ died for sins, you can be born again today and enter into a dynamic relationship with the God of the universe. You can draw near to God by coming to Christ. So if you're here this morning and have never repented of your sin, don't leave this morning without talking to someone. Talk to the person that invited you. Talk to the person that you are sitting next to. Uh, Come talk to me or one of the other elders uh, about this. This is our greatest desire, is that you would find peace with Christ uh, in his once-for-all sacrifice. And then secondly, for those of you that are in Christ, many of you I know are loving Christ, but as you look back at 2022, And as you look forward to 2023, this command is not a one-time command to draw near. Every day, morning by morning, every moment, God is inviting us to come, to draw near. Has your pursuit of Jesus grown cold? This invitation continues to go out to you. In light of what Christ has done, knowing that he rewards those who seek him, 11.6, let us rejoice at this glorious privilege to draw near every day. Okay, once we have drawn near, the second command, back to Hebrews 10.23, is let us hold fast. <clears throat> 10.23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. So these Hebrew believers were wavering. Is Christ enough? Don't I need to keep a set of rules? Don't I need to do some good works? Don't I need to continue to uh, keep the law? They were wavering in their faith. And we too waver often. Was my confession of Christ genuine? When I prayed, when I walked the aisle, when I did this or did that, was it enough? It's a reasonable question, a question we should ask. Are we genuine in our faith? But the question that should be asked is what confidence do we have that we will be able to hold fast? And the, Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews tells us in verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. So this confession of our hope is just confessing Christ as Lord, that we need him to save us from our sin. Confession of our hope without wavering. Here it is, for or because he who promised is faithful. It has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with you holding or your prayer or your walking the aisle. It has everything to do with Christ's faithfulness. He is faithful even when we are not. So we can have confidence, not because we prayed a prayer or walked an aisle, not because we are producing fruit, although this is a good measure to look at in our lives, but because God is faithful. 
So if you're here this morning and your faith is wavering, if you have thought, am I really in Christ? Am I really believing these truths? I want to encourage you with four things. These are not new or revolutionary things. They're pretty common and ordinary things, but I think it's good to remind one another often of them. So first, if your faith is wavering like these Hebrew Christians, I would encourage you to read. Read your Bible, but specifically read, looking not to yourself, but looking to Christ. Read verses like 1023. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for because he who promised is faithful. The focus here is not us, it's on Jesus. Flip back to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14. Read verses like this about Christ, 14 through 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. If your faith is shaky, if you're wavering as these Hebrews were, go to passages like this and look to Christ. John 5, 24, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Remind yourselves, not of your faithfulness, but of Christ's faithfulness. 1 John 5, 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And then flip to Philippians chapter 1, a great passage to go to. Philippians chapter 1, and we'll just do one verse. Verse 6. You know it. Probably have it memorized, many of you. Philippians 1, 6. And I am sure of this, confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He will accomplish what he started. Not you, but him. And then finally, Romans chapter 8. Great passage to go to all the time, but it points us to the work of God, to the work of Christ. Not your own, not my own, but to Jesus. I'm going to read the extended passage, attempt to. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 29. And just see God's action here and the promises of his faithfulness. We hold fast because he is faithful. For those whom, for whom he, let me start over. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. This is God's goal, to conform us to the image of Jesus. And the work that he began in you, if you are truly believing in Christ, he will accomplish to conform you to his image. In order that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn 
Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ, from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Turn to texts like this when, you're, when your faith is wavering. Secondly, pray. Short, Mark 9.24, I believe, help my unbelief. This is a prayer that God loves to answer. Uh, if your faith is shaky, turn to him in the word and turn to him in prayer. Sorry, I'm kind of a mess up here. Third, so read, pray, and remember. Remember that justification or being made right with God, being made perfect in his sight, is a one-time event. It happens when you come to faith in Jesus. But remember that sanctification is progressive. It's a process. It even says in Hebrews chapter 10 that we are being sanctified. We're being changed. John Owen, short quote from him, these graces, he was talking about faith and love, are capable of degrees and so of increase. For we read expressly of little faith and great faith, weak and strong faith, both true and the same in substance. So both the weak and the little and the strong and the great are the same in substance. Those that are in Christ are saved by his work alone, but differing in degrees. Remember when you're struggling, when you stumble, when your faith is wobbly, that God is accomplishing his purposes in you. Continue to trust in him. Continue to remember that he is changing you from one degree of glory to another, 2 Corinthians 3.18. And then finally, return to fellowship. So read, read about Christ, don't read about you. Pray, submit your request to him and he will hear you. Remember that sanctification is a process and then return to fellowship. And this will get us to Hebrews chapter 10 and verses 24 and 25. So the tendency when our faith is wavering, when we fall into sin, has always been to hide. Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve fought, fell. They hid themselves in the garden. We see this over and over and over again, that when someone, their faith begins to waver, they begin to pull away from people, pull away from the church, pull away from the word. And the call here is to not do that. The call here is to come. <clears throat> come back to the fellowship. So this is Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. The third, let us. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. When your faith is wavering, don't pull back, but rather push in. To stir up one another, to encourage one another, we must be together. We must be meeting together. Sunday mornings, yes. You need to make Sunday mornings a huge priority. If you don't come to Sunday school, I'd encourage you to come to Sunday school. The more 
you can be with God's people to stir up one another, for you to be stirred up in your faith, but also to stir up others that are maybe weak or struggling in their faith that week. Small groups, yes. Get involved in a small group. If that's an official small group at First Street Bible Church or a Bible study with friends or meeting one-on-one with someone for coffee every week or two weeks, do it. Get together with other believers that can, you can encourage one another and stir one another up. Texting and communicating throughout the week, yes. Do all of these things to encourage and stir and strengthen one another. And we're to stir and to encourage and to challenge one another, not so that we can just come here into our whole little holy little huddle and uh, feel good, but we're to stir one another up to good works, to go out and do what God has empowered each one of us to do. John 13, 34, and 35, a new commandment I, Jesus, give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. If we want to show the glories of Christ to the world around us, we need to go out. We need to go out to the coffee shops and to the banks and to the restaurants. We need to go into the schools and into the marketplace and show the glories of Christ and how he has impacted our entire lives. Last passage, Acts chapter 2, familiar passage, and this will uh, set up our communion table as well. This fellowshipping together, not neglecting to meet together. Let us consider how we are to do these things. Let's look back to the first century church and see how they did it. And we're to do the same things. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. And they, the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who are being saved. If your faith is wavering today, or if you have never drawn near to God, with risk of oversimplifying this, draw near, come close to God, not by your own works, but by Christ's. Hold fast your confession by looking again and afresh and over and over and over at Jesus, not at yourself. And invest deeply in the ordinary means of grace, reading God's word, hearing his word, meditate on his word, praying, gathering together for baptism and the Lord's Supper.